This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back the freedom hunt great to uh, have you here as always appreciate you joining me and for our little midday freedom session in the freedom hunt i should come up with a different word probably but that seemed to work at the time uh just a quick bit of breaking news for you betsy devos has been confirmed as education secretary but it required a tie-breaking vote from vice president pence hey the vice the veep getting in on the action here to approve trump's uh polarizing cabinet pick a woman whose crime against humanity is that she wants predominantly uh, poor and minority children to have a better shot at a decent education Uh, that makes her a bad person according to the left so there you have it we're joined now by our friend vince uh colonese he is the daily callers editor-in-chief hey what's up vince hey how you doing buck i'm good man i'm good thank you very much for for joining us Editor in chief, you were the executive editor, right? Did you? Are you? Was there a promotion? There was that. It happened concurrently to Tucker Carlson, the prior editor in chief, taking on his new show at Fox News, Tucker Carlson Tonight, where he's been very successful. We're proud to say, and in so doing, he relinquished control of the company uh, to me. So I'm going to try my best not to let it descend into a, a, a Hindenburg. And I think nice, actually, it's dude. Different. It's gone good so far. I mean, January was the best month the Daily Callers ever had in terms of the number of interested readers visiting our website. So I, I, uh, I'm proud to say that everything's running smoothly here. Well, congrats on the on the promotion, sir. And uh, it's always good when a friend of the a friend of the Freedom Hut moves on up in the world. We like that. Yeah, we, we, Thank you very <laughs> we much. Like our, uh, we, we, we like it when our people are running stuff. So, uh, all right, nice. <laughs> Keep that one in mind. So, Vince, you got a bunch of uh, great pieces up on DailyCaller.com right now. Uh, give me give me the rundown first on this piece. In their own words, anti-Trump resistance leaders aim to make America ungovernable. That doesn't sound constructive. Yeah, I mean, Peter Hassan, who's just such an incredible reporter uh, for us, put together sort of a a big wrap on uh, all of the anarchist groups, essentially, who've been involved in all these anti-Trump protests since about when we began to see them really flare up on Inauguration Day. And their central contention is not that this is just simply a political movement or that they're trying to make a statement about Trump and about what his policy should be. And they will literally want to make the government that makes the country quote ungovernable that that, that chaos is rules the day rather than some sort of uh, principled stand and of course that's apparent every time we see protesters show up at these events uh wearing you know black masks and and specifically breaking things setting them on fire but the the recent example of course at berkeley we saw 
uh, a conservative speaker's event shut down entirely because they were upset with it. Um, and, you know, this, this just keeps happening. You know, we at the Daily Caller, we actually asked the White House about this last week and said, you know, at this point, do you have any intention of investigating the, the people who keep fomenting riots at various conservative and anti-Trump events around the country, um, or conservative and pro-Trump events, rather, around the country that they show up to? And uh, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer told the Daily Caller that the White House knows who they are and didn't and suggested that they didn't seem to need an investigation to establish that, but sort of moved on very quickly. Uh, we still have questions about that. I would love to know if the federal government has any intention, the Department of Justice specifically, of looking into people who are specifically out there with the stated intention of breaking law and hurting people and destru- destruction of property. I think that's worth looking at, especially given the last eight years when every single time any incident happened, it seemed like the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division was jumping in to assess what had taken place. Um, I think it's worthwhile occasionally to wonder if the federal government shouldn't be looking more closely at these things. Of terror attacks that are considered underreported by the media, you have this piece up as well. Uh, what's your, we, we talked about this in the last hour a little bit. What's, what's your take on this? Well, you know, I think... Ultimately, the White House is, should be given some credit here for, for a clever accomplishment, which is they basically, you know, the White House has been trying to make the case to the press since, since day one that terrorism is a preeminent threat. And then the White House makes the claim that, hey, you know, the media is, just doesn't report on, on these things enough. Uh, President Trump did. And then the White House decided to release a list of 78 attacks that had happened in order to say, look, these are the attacks that haven't gotten, quote, adequate coverage from the press. And I, that's really, of course, open to interpretation what that means. Obviously, these attacks appeared in the press to some extent. But beyond that, maybe it involves like whether or not they were thoroughly vetted or thoroughly given an examination the way they should have been. I mean, how many times, of course, have you and I had conversations or thought about the way the press covered things to sort of minimize the role of radical Islam, for instance, in these various attacks? There's a lot of open interpretation of how you how you examine these things. But the Trump administration accomplished something, I think, which is pretty interesting, which is they convinced the press to run a giant list of so many attacks that have happened since 2014 to once again convey to the American public that terror is a real threat. And while the press is busy kind of crying about Trump lying or, or, or misinterpreting the facts, they're actually doing him a favor by presenting to the public further evidence that terrorism is a real threat to the country. Yeah, I have to say that the other pieces that I'm seeing now, the Washington Post had a headline up that I read this morning that these are the terror attacks that, that are not on the Trump list. It's like, well, okay, so there's even more. <laughs> and, right. and the fact that Trump seems to focus on attacks that hit either America or Europe, that, that doesn't make – that makes a lot of sense to people, right? I mean, it, to look at attacks – to ter- look at terror attacks in the context of a country – like Somalia or Iraq or Yemen, which are in the midst of a civil war, that that has a different uh, that that doesn't resonate quite as much in peaceful Western countries uh, as attacks that are just out of nowhere, specifically against civilians, not in the middle of a war zone, and, and that that shouldn't be such a difficult thing for the left to figure out but the the post seems to be saying oh well look at all these other attacks that he didn't talk about so terrorism depending on the day to me vince it seems like terrorism is either much worse than we are willing to say it is or it's not nearly as bad as we say it is right and if you're if you're 
President Trump and you're trying to make the case, for instance, that the refugee program is a vehicle through which bad actors can enter the United States, there's evidence internationally already that that's true. In France, the the attackers uh, came in through, in Paris, came in through uh, the Syrian refugee program by fraudulently running documents to pretend to be Syrian refugees. Now, does it mean that Syrian refugees themselves, genuine ones, are going to be terrorist threats? Not necessarily at all. But it does mean that programs like this exist and and have loopholes through which terrorists can enter. And I think that you know the Trump administration has trying to, been trying to strongly make that case that programs like this uh, can can be uh, a massive loophole when it comes to securing the United States. What do you think about the DeVos, uh, the DeVos nomination and, and vote that just happened, by the way? I just wanted to get your, uh, your take on how they, this, nobody could have guessed that the woman who would seem as offensive as church lady from SNL was the one that galvanized the forces of the left, and they almost, they almost defeated a cabinet nominee uh, for the first time in 28 years, I think, is, is what I saw this morning. Right. So Democrats, I think, did score a couple successful blows on her and, and sort of succeeded in framing her as being um, not quite in touch with the education system in the way that she should be, specifically public education. But I think the Trump administration and her, and her specifically in her testimony really had a compelling case, which is my whole reason for existence and the, the reason why I'm going to head the Department of Education is to minimize the federal government's role in these programs and, and instead to turn over control to states and localities, which doesn't take a tremendous amount of understanding of the federal government's role to do other than to figure out ways to minimize it every time you encounter encounter a question on it. So she was, you know, her, her nomination today, her confirmation today, came with some high drama. Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, both Republican senators uh, who decided to oppose her, put the Senate and put the Trump administration in the precarious situation of having to have Mike Pence, the vice president, come and be the tie-breaking vote for the first time in history on a cabinet official. And he did that. He was joyful in, in so doing. It's funny to watch the video of him now. He's kind of smiling and laughing as he as he uh, finishes up the session. But speaking of session, Jeff Sessions needed to stay in the Senate through today in order to make sure that, that vote got done for Betsy DeVos. So now Jeff Sessions has done his job as a senator, and we should have uh, a, a Jeff Sessions confirmation for Attorney General tomorrow. Now, so that that that'll be the next bit of news coming out. Uh, Shimon, do we have Representative Waters saying it's time to start talking about impeachment? Do we have that clip? Yeah, pl- pl- play this for a second. I want Vince's reaction to it. Let it rip. First of all, just let me say these are not normal times. Uh, we have a president who has created chaos and division. So many questions about his conflict of interest, lies about whether or not he separated himself uh, from the businesses he claimed he would separate himself from, uh, not showing his tax returns, putting his arms around Putin, defending Putin, working with the Kremlin. Uh, I want to know, and a lot of people want to know, was there collusion? And some of that, I think, leads to the possibility of impeachment. And I think that's legitimate to say, given everything we know at this point. Here we have a member of the House of Representatives, longstanding member Maxine Waters, already getting that getting the impeachment talk going. Vince, I don't think this is the I don't think this is the last we'll hear of it. I think we're going to start to see more. No, for sure. And the Venn diagram that's supposed to exist in American politics, where Democrats and Republicans can agree on things, it continues to be pushed apart by people who are lighting their hair on fire way in advance of 
of any evidence that President Trump is going to be specifically bad for the Democrats' agenda. I mean, if you were to look at the stage of Republican candidates who existed during the Republican primary and who assess which of these guys is most likely to intersect with the Democrats on things, the answer to that question was and continues to be Donald Trump. Donald Trump, especially on infrastructure spending, a guy who wants to spend a trillion dollars on it, early on before he even took office, Chuck Schumer was beginning to signal that he could sort of get along with Trump on that. And now it seems like Democrats have just decided, you know what, we're just going to run an entire anti-Trump campaign. And part of the reason is it's not hard to see why. The ACLU raised record money by opposing Trump in his early days of the administration. And I think Democrats probably are probably sensing, hey, you know what, there's a real cash cow here if we can continue to persist against this Republican president. We just keep telling people that he sucks and we'll keep raising money off of it. And then we'll figure it out later on. We won't worry about our, our ideals right now. Just one a quick prediction from you before we let you go, Vince. The Ninth Circuit is going to uphold the stay on Trump's executive order on immigration or is going to overturn it? Well, everything's such high drama that, you know, I, might, I, I don't want to make a prediction. I do, I do want to make a guess, uh, uh, a guess of the White House, though, which is if, they are, if the stay holds, if it's like, hey, you're just not allowed to do this, and they keep on pursuing appeals up, up the chain, of course. Uh, will at any point the White House pursue Congress and say, hey, you need to pass a law on this. So let's just get past the legal questions associated with the executive order and get the Congress to actually act on it. Uh, I think that'd be wise. I mean, again, this is supposed to be a moratorium um, and on, on uh, immigration, and that is typically well within the bounds of what a president is capable of doing. President Obama did that. And, you know, if it means that the president has to recraft his executive order, maybe, then he should do that. But uh, beyond that, we'll see. The only guarantee is that more drama will occur. Vince Colonese is the Daily Caller's editor-in-chief. Woo! What's up, Vince? Congrats. Uh, You can read his (laughs) latest at Daily Caller. (laughs) That's that's the cheering section here on the radio. Uh, You can read his latest on DailyCaller.com, and he's at the DC Vince on Twitter. Vince, great to have you. We'll talk to you soon. Come back, all right? But thanks so much. Thanks, brother. Uh, sponsor this half hour is silencershop.com. There is no better place to go, period, for a silencer for your firearm than silencershop.com. Silencer makes the whole shooting experience more enjoyable. You'll have more fun out on the range no matter where you're using your firearm. If you have a silencer on it, you're going to be happy that you do. And there's no place that is better at getting the paperwork process and getting you through all of that than silencershop.com. So do check them out. Uh, Go to silencershop.com and read testimonials. You can learn about how you go through the process and you do the paperwork and then, bam, you can get yourself a silencer. Although I guess maybe it's not bam. It might be more like, like, but I'm just, it's not that quiet. You'll have to hear. In movies, the way they have silencers is not the way it is in real life, but they're they're still really cool. I fired them and uh, I think you should check them out. So go to silencershop.com. Again, silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Isn't quiet wonderful? We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Robert in Rhode Island, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. What's up, my friend? How's it going, Buck? There we go. It's good, man. How are you? Thanks for calling in. I know you've been on hold for a bit. I appreciate your patience. No problem. Uh, Congratulations on a good show the other night. Thank you. My father would like to say, don't screw it up. (laughs) I'll do what I can. Good job. Thank you. (laughs) But uh, the reason why I was calling was... uh, you know, in the theme of this, uh, you know, the press, you know, picking and choosing, you know, subjects to report on and uh, thus, uh, you know, deem newsworthy and stuff. Has anyone done their homework as far as this year's New Year's Eve activities? And last year we were complaining about a a massive number of uh, rapes and sexual assaults in Germany and other places. And I have not found anything anywhere uh, about that subject. You know, I'm going to give them a month to, to, you know, figure it out, but I've heard nothing. Have you heard anything? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't seen any reporting on it. I'm assuming that there weren't similar incidents, at least in the same scale as there were last year, although you would have heard about it, but... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I do know that in Europe, the reporting on refugees is always influenced, and they're they're constantly trying to shade it uh, in order to not make refugees look bad. So that's right. that's a concern right there. They're so they're not giving you the honest. Where the truth is relevant, right? Yeah, I mean, they they feel like the the facts will get in the way of the narrative that you know, diversity is their strength or whatever it may be. Um, I always think it's fascinating. Uh, Robert, thank you for calling in and for your kind words. Uh, shields high, buddy. It, it's interesting that when you, when you start to look at how so many countries around the world are allowed to have very restrictive immigration policies, are allowed to openly, uh, as, a, as a matter of policy, defend their, you know, their culture or to defend their nationalism or their patriotism. And no one really seems to care or to challenge it, at least not in the international community. But it's it's only America where any limitations that one begins to put on immigration, uh, even very reasonable ones, automatically result in this slew of accusations about you know, racism and xenophobia and all the rest of it. Um, it's a unique burden, I suppose, that the American immigration system carries with regard to how the rest of the world sees it, that here we are uh, trying to make decisions that are in our national security interest. And there's this <clears throat> extra consideration that has to be factored into it all the time of, well, how does this look to everyone else? I, I do think that at some level, much of the Trump administration's uh, movements here, and the reason why it has the support that it does is because there's a rejection of that. 
just out of hand. There is a rejection of we are going to make decisions about our borders and about immigration that other people will like. I just feel like we're we're all sort of sick of that. And a lot a lot of us are sick of that. That the that there should be any international opinion influence on the way that we conduct our immigration policy. When I say any influence, I mean obviously at some level you're going to be you know, with your allies and, and foreign nations, you, you want to have a, a streamlined process. But there's a difference also even between visiting and between uh, you know, between visas and visiting and, and working here for a period of time and becoming a full-blown U.S. citizen. So I just think that the discussion, what you're seeing here is a, an enormous chasm between those who believe that anyone who really wants to be American, even if they just want to come here and collect benefits, has a right to do that. But that falls apart when you apply even the most basic scrutiny to it. No way that that can be the policy. All right, we got more coming. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we're joined now by Julie Kelly. She is a contributor at National Review. Julie, thank you so much for calling in. Thanks for having me, Buck. All right, so a top climate scientist blows the whistle on shoddy climate science. Tell us, uh, give us the background. Tell us about this piece you've written on National Review. Sure, it's posted today online. Um, Over the weekend, the Daily Mail posted an expose from a top, a former top uh, scientist at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is one of the top federal agencies in charge of climate change, climate science. So he basically exposed this malfeasance and wrongdoing behind a really widely distributed, widely accepted study um, that refuted the pause in global warming between 1998 and 2012. And how did it, what happened here? I mean, give us the so what? Sure. So here's uh, where the political agenda fits in. In 2013, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the international body that oversees all climate science and climate policy. Um, In their 2013 report, they actually acknowledged this pause in the rise of global temperatures. Now, in in 2007, they said that every decade would see between a one to three degree Celsius increase in global temperatures, and that did not occur. And they had to admit that the rise in temperatures was about half of what they predicted and what essentially became a pause. So this counter contradicted everything that we've been told, right? That rising greenhouse gas emissions uh, would increase temperatures and we would have global warming and all this catastrophic climate change. So that report really set the climate change movement on its ears. And the problem was 
then in 2015, there was going to be the International Climate Change Conference in Paris that Barack Obama attended. So they really needed something to refute this pause in global temperature and the rise in global temperatures, because that was the whole reason for the conference. And so here comes uh, Tom Carl, who was a top scientist with uh, NOAA, and he tweaked data, really kind of made up this methodology about how to take um, temperatures from the sea surface. And uh, voila, all of a sudden, his study shows that there was not a hiatus or a pause in uh, global warming. So that report was issued a few months before the Paris conference. Uh, it was you know, covered by every major media outlet around the world. And so all the climate activists could breathe a sigh of relief that they had some kind of so-called evidence that showed that global warming was still occurring. This is amazing. Uh, people yeah. still cling, even though there's you don't see this in other areas of science where there's data manipulation. And and if you did do this, in other, let's say this was about uh, the pharmaceutical industry and there, there was biochemistry involved here and they were doing clinical trials and you had scientists that were changing, uh, changing the data, they could be held guilty of fraud. I mean, they could be held liable for fraud. They could be in trouble. But with climate science, whatever they do that brings it back to this is an imminent problem that has to be fixed, it seems to be a self-justifying excuse all the time. It does. And, you know, this is one of the many benefits of President Trump being elected because in 2015, after this report was released, the House Science Committee, led by Republican Lamar Smith, started demanding the data and documentation and communication that led to this report that kind of came out of nowhere. So, of course, the agencies refused. Obama administration officials refused to give up the evidence. Um, and so he had to subpoena NOAA and the officials. Well, now, because we have a Republican administration, he's finally going to be able to uncover, if it hasn't been completely destroyed, um, exactly all the correspondence and communication around the creation of this report. Um, and so that's really where where this is headed now, except what the whistleblower uh, uh, released this weekend is that the computer that was used to generate this report, a surprise, surprise, suffered a complete failure and none of the data and evidence had been archived, which is standard procedure with science because you want it to be available for independent re review to see if it's reproducible. None of that is available. Um, so it looks shady, if not corrupt, uh, every way that you look at it. And hopefully Congress is going to be able to get to the bottom of really what happened. Oh, it's sort of like the IRS with the hard drives that mm -hmm. had to be destroyed right away. This is this is quite a coincidence that this is happening. Uh, Julia, I also want to ask you about uh, some of the other work that you do. And I know we brought you on to talk about your climate change piece, which is on nationalreview.com right now. Uh, but you are a leading voice in the debate about America's food system. I find food fascinating. What are you, you're a defender of American agriculture and biotechnological use? Talk to me about this. Well, this is how I have gotten into all this. I call myself an accidental activist. I've been covering these issues for about the past two and a half years. I've written extensively about food policy, particularly GMOs and the organic industry and agricultural biotechnology. And that's how this kind of led me to this climate change issue. Um, and I really covered a lot of the anti-GMO movement, so I can see some similarities between how science is manipulated and activists 
um, really try to mislead people about GMOs. I see some similarities, but the problem with the climate change activists is that there's far more reaching consequences, obviously, with what they're doing than, say, the anti-GMO movement. Um, but yes, I've written a lot about GMOs and um, and food policy, like the National School Lunch Program and food stamps. So uh, I'm trying to keep up with everything that's happening now. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> Yeah, well, tell, tell, is is organic food? It, it's I, I go into some of the grocery stores around me here in New York City, and I was like, okay, well, I can I can pay seventy nine cents for a pound of lemons, or I can pay you know uh, two seventy nine for a pound of lemons, or whatever it is. Uh, and, and the only difference is whether it says organic or not. Uh, what what does your research into all that tell you? I, I've always it strikes me it seems scammy to me, but I haven't done a lot of research into it other than just my gut. Yeah, well, I think your gut is right. Uh, For the most part, there is no reason to buy organic food, Um, particularly, say, something like lemons. A lot of we're a net importer of organic goods. So a lot of the organic food that you see is probably imported from somewhere else. Um, There's no health, environmental or uh, safety benefits to buying organic. In some regards, it's worse for the environment. It requires a lot more natural inputs rather than synthetic ones that work faster. It requires a lot more manual labor. Um, And so there really isn't any reason to purchase organic. It's just a feel-good measure for people who can afford it. But unfortunately, some studies are coming out that show lower-income people will not buy fresh produce because they feel like they have to buy organic because they're afraid of, you know, non-organic because of the scare tactics the organic industry has used. And so they won't buy them at all. Um, So it's really uh, self-defeating for trying to get people to eat healthier. And uh, the organic industry has, um, they've got a pretty, uh, they've got some very wealthy executives and uh, some good lobbyists who are trying to convince all of us that that we need to buy their food when we don't. And it says here under your bio that you've taken on some celebrity chefs. Which ones? What happened? Did you go toe-to-toe with Gordon Ramsay? I want to know. Not yet. Um, he kind of behaves himself politically. I haven't, I haven't seen much from him. All of this started with uh, Tom Colicchio, who I'm sure... I was going to say, is it Colicchio the commie or Batali the uh, the Marxist? But yeah, go ahead. It, it's both of them. I'm proudly blocked by both of them on Twitter. Um, and oh, nice. This all started with an article I wrote in the Wall Street Journal and not that, just out of the blue, about Tom Colicchio's politics and... Uh, 2014, and it just really mushroomed uh, from there. But I see he's he's closing one of his restaurants out there, Craft Bar. I think he should have, as I said, stick to uh, stick to food and cooking, and and not get into politics. So, um, yeah, he's he's. What did you he's say? Worked. What did you say about his politics? He's the Top Chef guy. For those of you listening, he's one of the judges on Top Chef, which is a show I used to watch before. I just found. Actually, Padma Lakshmi was the one that after a while I just could just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, this is this woman is. Likes herself too much, uh, but yeah, but Tom Cleek was a judge there. Well, oh, she's gone political too. Yeah, everybody now. This is this is the fashionable thing to do. Everyone has to get political. So what what, what did you say about Calicchio's politics? Though I'm curious. I mean, he's a far lefty. The first article I wrote about him, he was on MSNBC talking about the farm bill and how Republicans wanted to make people starve by taking away their food stamps and school lunch program. And I was really surprised because, like you, I watched Top Chef. I was. I was actually a fan of Tom Colicchio. I really thought the show was interesting and he did a good job. Um, But he ventured into this democratic activist political world 
And, um, you know, he, he doesn't come across that well. I don't think he's that well informed about what he's talking about. Um, I saw him give a speech. This worked out well. He introduced Hillary Clinton in Pennsylvania the day before the election. Um, and so that didn't really go as planned. But he kind of went on this rant about Ronald Reagan. It's kind of all over the place. Um, but unfortunately, you know, he has a platform. He has an audience. And so, um, you know, I just kind of held his feet to the fire, especially about GMOs. He's an anti-GMO activist as well. So I challenged him on, uh, you know, some of the stuff he was saying about GMOs. And, of course, he never really had What do they claim? I mean, do they have studies that they point to when they say that genetically modified food, what, does it cause higher rates of, of cancer, disease? Or what are the main... The, the anti-GMO crowd says what about them? Well, they really make stuff up. Um, in, you know, there's so much science coming out proving that GMOs are safe. I talk to a lot of farmers who t- tell me how beneficial it is to them uh, and to their farms and to their crops. Um, but this is really a, a movement that started by the organic industry and environmental groups so they could sell more non-GMO organic food. But also the environmental activists are very anti-capitalist, um, anti-Monsanto, who uh, you know is one of the first pioneers with genetically engineered crops. It's really a political movement, um, but unfortunately it's really stymied some of the progress that we can make uh, in the area of, of genetically engineered modified foods. Um, for example, this month um, some stores here in the Midwest are going to start selling Arctic apples. And this is a product that um, where the genetics have been tweaked in a, certain, a few varieties of apples that prevent the apple from bruising and browning. So there's great potential to use this technology to make our food system more sustainable, to make uh, to lessen food waste, um, to you know make your dollar at the grocery store go further because you aren't replacing food that's constantly spoiling. Um, and so it, it, it's got tremendous potential here and around the world. But, of course, the activists, particularly in the Obama administration, wanted to uh, really put a brick on that. And hopefully we'll see a lot more progress now with the Trump administration and Republican Congress. Best best celebrity chef, in your opinion, is who? Um, Ina Garten. She's the only one I like Ina? anymore. Who's that? Ina Garten? Um, she is Ina Garten is the Barefoot Contessa. Um, oh, she's got great, okay. Barefoot yeah, Contessa, she, yeah. Yeah, she's got some great, just really, I don't want to say simple cookbooks, but, um, you know, very doable recipes. She's got a great way about her. She's the only one I like. I, I don't even watch the celebrity chefs anymore. I think they're just so obnoxious and full of themselves. And they don't really even teach anyone to cook. It's just about their image and promoting themselves. All right, Julie Kelly, National Review contributor Did we and cover everything? leading What's voice. That? What's up? Did we cover everything? I, I can't think of what else yeah, we yeah, have. We, yeah, we got we got through some stuff for sure. Oh, we're gonna have yeah. you back. The, the the Freedom Hut Gauntlet. You're, you're just this is just day one. There'll be many other opportunities, Julie. But Julie well, is a National Review time. contributor. You can read her latest at nationalreview.com, and uh, we can talk about celebrity chefs more next time. Julie, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, We're going to hit a break, team. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Buck 
Sexton. So team, uh, tonight I'll be on America Now, Buck Sexton with America Now uh, radio across the country, syndicated 6 to 9. If you don't have the ability to listen on old school radio in your area, which I know a bunch of you don't, just go to AmericanNowRadio.com and it'll you can play it right there. It's also possible on the iHeart app, although I'm hearing some people have had difficulty finding me on the iHeart app, so I'm going to have to check that out. Um, just to give you a sense of what we're talking about, the uh, immigration face-off tonight, get into the latest on that. Uh, the oral arguments over Trump's travel ban, that's going to be right at the top of the show. We'll also get into uh, the possible Supreme Court showdown. We're going to hear from Navy SEAL sniper Chris Kyle, of course, of American sniper renown. Uh, his interpreter, uh, known only as codenamed Johnny Walker, uh, he is going to make the case for why we need tougher borders. So that's going to be tonight. Plus, it's Wayne's World's 25th anniversary today. Very exciting stuff. We'll talk a bit about Wayne's World at some point on the show because Wayne's World's amazing. And uh, we've got some other fun guests joining. It's going to be a great time tonight, so uh, do tune in if you can. And you can always uh, play on demand the show if you miss it. You just go to uh, AmericanOutRadio.com. Check it out there. Uh, please uh, do give me a listen if you can uh, the, the, on the nighttime show. And, of course, continue to download this show. Uh, just go on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Type in Buck Sexton, and you can pick it up right then and there. Yeah, yesterday I think I set some kind of a record for myself. Three hours of TV plus a hit, and then five hours of radio. It's a long it's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff for one day. A lot, of, a lot of content. A lot of, yeah. So uh, today will be a little less crazy than that. Hopefully tomorrow, I'll be able to get get some rest and come out with uh, my my full vocal range. Would be nice. I know I sound like Mariah or something. I need my full vocal range, but no, I do not sound like Mariah. You know what I mean. Uh, so yeah, that's gonna be exciting stuff. Team, thank you for joining me today. I believe uh, Chris Salcedo is coming up next year at uh, two Eastern. So uh, stay here right here on the Blaze Radio Network and join me tonight, 6 to 9, AmericanOutRadio.com, syndicated Buck Sexton stuff. Until then, shield tie. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.